Greetings, nerds. This is Stand of Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me as always is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing tonight, Will? Doing very well, Sarah. How are you doing? Doing fine. 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 Fine? You're just doing fine? Just doing fine. You know, because we're recording, and it's not like we haven't tried to record this episode at least twice, if not more, by now. <laughs> That's true. No. It's not deja vu at all. It's not bothering me. I'm, I'm happy we're here recording again and we have a special guest who has to do this with us again <laughs> poor thing holding in here like a trooper <laughs> we have Jackie back hello hey Jackie yeah. welcome back thank you for coming back and joining us again after all our technical snafus but we no worries no worries guys I I'm happy to be here. <laughs> oh, your fourth thing. Third time. <laughs> Third time's the charm, y'all. <laughs> the sad part about this is I, there's like, there's bits of the first recording that I wish were in the second, and now there's bits of the second recording I wish will be in this one, but I'm also a type of person I hate to redo the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. So, this is what we're going to get. It is what it is. That's all right. I mean, I get tired of doing the same thing over and over again as an actor, so. Yeah. Don't you have to do things like sit down, like they, they like tell you to walk into the room and then walk back out and then walk in? <laughs> yeah. Right? Every scene that we do, every setup, I should say not even scene, every camera setup is probably done at least minimum two times most likely about four times if you screw up more than that for sure um, so if you're doing like three different setups for a scene let's say as a conversation you got both people on one side and then you got a close up on one and a close up on another you're talking anywhere from like six to fifteen times that you're doing that same scene over and over again <laughs> but not if you're on a soap opera not if you're on a soap well you hope to do it that many times, but I don't know. Soap operas are so quick. They're, they film so fast. It's just you film as many times as you can get time to film. Yeah, yeah. Because you have experience on those, because I was listening the last two times. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like we need to bring the audience up to speed because now we've got our own conversations. We did. We did. <laughs> okay, let me bring the audience up to speed. Will watches soap operas. Press. <laughs> Love it. Jackie was on a soap opera that was uh, one of my favorites back in the day called The Bold and the Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it's like 37 seasons now or something. Gosh, is it but, that many? I guess yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy. I think General Hospital has been going on for like six years. True. Yeah. So I guess it's still an infant compared to General Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how everyone keeps up with it because you know, like going along with the whole filming so rapidly, it's there's a new episode every single day. It's not like a once a week episodic sort of series. Most TV shows spend a week per episode filming, but this is like you're filming 30 days worth, 30 minutes worth of material in one day. So yeah, it's super fast. How is TV shooting different than movie shooting? Say typically, like I said, like a, a 30 minute episode. You usually has about a week to film. 
Um, so on like a five or sometimes a six day work week, you go through about anywhere from three to seven pages a day. Same with film. Um, if you've got a, a you know a feature length movie, they've got anywhere from like one to three months to shoot this film. So you're going at a pace of pretty much like three to seven pages a day is ideal on a soap opera because you're going through a 30 minute episode a day you're literally filming 30 pages a day so we're filming three four five at math is really hard right now really fast (laughs) (laughs) okay what about a short film because you have experience with short films now yeah so a short film because it's obviously significantly shorter than a feature. Um, it's going to take less time, but it's the whole page counting doesn't necessarily um, correlate. So one of the things about a feature that you can do is you film out of order. You film pretty much all the same locations at a time. So, you know, you would film maybe seven pages worth of, uh, let's say, seven different one-page scenes over the course of that day. With a short film, you might only have one or two scenes that take place at that location. So you have to factor in time for moving to another location, you know, setting up all the equipment, breaking it down, packing it up, driving over. Um, So a short film like the one that I just shot called Proud is only eight pages, um, probably going to be about 10 minutes long in its final, uh, its finished copy. But we spent three days filming that because we had to shoot at 10 different locations. Wow. Yeah. Eight pages. Mm-hmm. Three full 12 hour days. So, yeah. And you wrote it, right? I did. I wrote it. Yeah. This is uh, my little my little pet project that I'm super excited about. Uh, my first time writing, so I'm like really nervous about that. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to write the eight pages? <laughs> well, uh, actually sitting down and writing it, it took it took a couple hours I'd say it took a day um, it was one of those weird like I had this idea bouncing around in my brain after watching Crazy Rich Asians and I literally like had a moment of like manic inspiration I woke up and actually I never went to sleep I was like 2 in the morning I was on Twitter <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh I have this idea I need to like write it down before I fall asleep because you know you wake up the next day and I don't know it's right. gone half, half your thoughts are gone so I yeah. literally just like got out of bed at 2 in the morning and I was writing until probably like 7 or 8 um, yeah I got the first draft of the script down went to sleep took a nap woke up reread it just to like I don't know see if it sucked and because <laughs> you never know you know 2am delirium um, yeah is that what they call the suck test <laughs> and, and how do you know how do you know do you like say it out loud because yeah. I, I imagine you're probably your worst critic. So oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. So how did you, yeah. So how did so once you like finished the first couple of drafts? I mean, what was the next step? I mean, who, who did you show it to? And you know, well, how did it sort of evolve from you know, uh, you know, however many page draft to right, uh, to, right. You know, to like, hey, I'm going to make a film out of this. <laughs> um, I 
I have a really, I have a really good on it. Well, this is a good thing. I have a really good, honest relationship with my husband and my sister. So I show them everything. Because <laughs> um, I know they're at least going to be like, Jackie, this is not your best work. Or encourage me if, you know, if they believe in it. So I can always count on them to give me like very unfiltered criticisms. Um, so I had, I had them read it and, you know, they both weighed in. Um, my husband is not Asian, but he knows me very well. So he gave me any critiques and feedback from a non-Asian perspective. And then my sister, obviously she's Asian and she had a very similar, um, growing up experience as me. So she gave me her feedback. And then once I felt comfortable, forget the screenwriting part because neither of them are in the industry, but once I felt comfortable with the story, then I passed it along to some of my trusted, um, you know, film industry people, people who have written scripts before, directed or produced, um, people whose professional opinions I respect and trust to help me get it formatted in a screenwriting format as opposed to just, you know, mental verbal vomit. (laughs) So that's ultimately what we ended up with. And yeah, the final count was eight pages. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm a little nervous about it, but I feel like people liked it. So I'm going to just accept that and (laughs) (laughs) about it. uh, Because you said you were were inspired by uh, Crazy Rich Asians, but what about that film inspired you and is was your experience similar to you know what was portrayed in the film or you were inspired enough to do a yeah. all nighter to, to write this story? Yeah, so Crazy Rich Asians was so important in so many ways, right? It's one, it's it's an Asian American film. It's um, you know depicting us in mainstream Hollywood blockbuster, um, you know, box office hit movie and that's long overdue, you know, there's been a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion and representation in Hollywood, so this is a really, really, really big step for us as Asian actors. Um, I really love what it's done as far as this movement goes, as far as, you know, relating to it, I mean, (laughs) it's it's a really good rom-com, I enjoyed watching it, but I don't know about the relatability, because I mean, it's about a very, very specific top 1% subset of an Asian population, and it still takes place overseas, even though in the main uh, character played by Constance Wu, even though she's Asian American and identifiable, she basically enters this fairy tale world that rom-coms allow you to have, and that is a little it's fantasy, you know? So while I was very inspired by the movement and what this movie stood for, I almost felt like it didn't represent me because I don't know what it's like to be that super ultra rich. (laughs) I wish I did. Um, But I kind of wanted more of a story about, you know, more of a fresh off the boat kind of story because that is very much my childhood, you know, growing up in the 90s in Central Florida, which is exactly 
exactly what happened. Um, so I wanted to tell a story kind of more based in that vein of reality as opposed to a crazy rich, you know? Um, <laughs> I just, I like that. I'd rather have the fresh half of the boat rather than the crazy rich, <laughs> you know? I just, I like how that's like the extremes. That's the spectrum we're working with. It's great. <laughs> yeah, just turn the middle. My my short film is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> well, it, it's it's middle an interesting crazy middle class Asians. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 interesting because you bring up um, relatability, and I think I think that that's something that I'm not sure is being brought up enough during the talks about trying to have more representation because you can have a lot of representation but if the characters aren't relatable to the audience that you're targeting by including them then then really at the end of the day what's the point right exactly exactly um and that's you know that's a conversation that you know as as like as an asian actress a lot of the roles that i've gone out for especially on network television um you know these small co-star roles they're meant to be they're meant to be just side characters right we we were just cast to kind of fill in the pieces of you know the main characters is day to day so as an Asian I've gone out for you know nail salon owner I've gone out for um, you know convenience store worker um, you know heavily accented characters um, drag cleaners <laughs> so is that is that more about the the push to have more diversity behind the camera because like and I think we've talked about this on the show previously that I've always pointed out that I can tell a difference when there's a there's a male male writer versus a female writer on the screen and and the characters they just they come off differently and I'm I'm always curious like to have a, to take two take the same script and have um, a male write it versus a female and see the differences that get brought to life on screen I think that's a, a very interesting experiment to one day do yeah for sure um I think that I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, there's different nuances, you know. That well, I mean, like let's put it. Let's give you one example: casting breakdowns from an actor's perspective. I can definitely tell when the casting breakdown is written by a woman versus when the casting is broke, like written by a guy. Um, when, it's, when it's written by a woman, we tend to characterize like uh, uh, like personality traits and. Um, depth of character, like three-dimensionalness of the character in the breakdown. We're looking for a tough girl who has endured this in their past and needs to overcome this. You know, like some sort of, um, I guess like an background story of the character where it's, when I read casting breakdowns written by guys, a lot of it is very just physical trait-based, you know? And, and, <laughs> and they love to use descriptors like um, she's unconventionally pretty or she's quirky but cute not the type of girl that you would normally notice but for some reason she catches your eye you know like those are the kind of descriptors that I read when it's um, like a male person writing it um, 
you know, point out about you and tease you and bully you, you start to reject those things, right? So I went through this phase where I was so embarrassed of being Asian and I just couldn't understand why I was different and I didn't see other people like me. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find anyone to relate to. Um, I really felt that these were like just, you know, completely, utterly unique experiences. <laughs> like no one understands me. Um, but yeah, I definitely went through this phase, right? I hated being Asian and I rejected it and I rebuked it and I wanted to be the cool girl. You know, I wanted to be like, oh, I'm not one of those Asians or, you know, just, oh God, she's like so awkward trying to say it, but, um, yeah, it wasn't until I became an adult and I met other Asians and they were cool and they were like, had the same experiences that I did. Um, that's kind of when I learned to embrace my differences and, you know. How did, how did you, as far as, because, you know, there's the Asian American experience and there's also the Asian, you know, who kids like you who, who grew up here in the States versus, like, especially when you got to college where you probably met folks who were international students who yeah. who came here. How did right. you how did you deal with that intersection of you know you coming from small town Florida versus someone coming from say Korea or Japan or something who was quote unquote Asian right. Asian versus you know Asian American? Right. Well, that's the whole that's the whole thing about um, you know trying to get this whole like representation of of my I guess my type of Asian out there. Um, we really come from completely different worlds, you know. Uh, even I have cousins that still live in Korea, and they come over here for either, you know, their master's program or their graduate studies or whatever. They really are different. Like, they, they're, the, oh, how do I say this? They're, the way society is structured over there is different. The way interactions are, um, it's just, it's different. I don't, I'm not sure about it. Yeah, I mean, hard question, Will. <laughs> well, I, 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 it, I know it's a hard question, I, and I just think through so my wife's experience. Like, oh, she's ethnic Indian, but you know, but she's actually from Malaysia, and then went to college here in the states. And so, mm-hmm. you know, her interactions with, you know, with people, uh, they just assume certain things about her because she's Indian. But you know, we start talking to her, her, her her whole cultural experience is completely different from right. folks who grew up here in the States or even folks from India. So. Right, right, yeah. No, it's it's completely different because, I mean, think of it this way. Like, you can imagine if you went to Seoul mm-hmm. and you just got dropped off there, right, um, and you had to spend a year living there, there would be a lot that you would have to get acclimated to because it's different. It's a different lifestyle. You know, language barrier aside, it's the food is different, the customs are different, um, the way you dress is different. The type of music you listen to is different. You know, the things that people do for social fun is different. What's considered good, what's considered bad, acceptable behavior versus disrespectful behavior. All of that is very different. And I grew up not with that. And yet, even though I grew up here in America where our, you know, cultures and customs are what they are, I'm almost perpetually being asked 
lost what it's like being here, and I'm like, I I've always been here. <laughs> well, I have to ask. Yeah, I have to ask. So did you did you have tiger Asian parents? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? I haven't heard this thing before. What is that? Tiger Asian tiger mom? You've never heard that term? No. <laughs> I, I've heard tiger mom, but I've never heard like the the Asian stereotype being added on to that. Really? <laughs> tiger mom is always Asian. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. My my parents are so like wonderfully adaptive. Um, my mom, so my dad moved to America when he was, I want to say, around thirteen years old. So he was, you know, he was like first generation Asian American. He grew up listening to the Beatles. I think he had a bowl cut at one point in time. Um, you know, like he had posters of Farrah Fawcett on his wall. Like, oh my gosh, it's, I hope he's not listening to this. Um, but my mom, she moved here when she was actually pregnant with me because my dad went back to Korea for medical school and that's where they met. And so he was like, oh, like, you know, come back to America. This is where I live. And she was like, oh, that sounds great. So they moved here and she was actively pregnant with me. So she was very much still international, I would say. Um, but both of my parents fully embraced moving to America and embraced the American culture. Um, even when it didn't necessarily embrace them, they wanted to learn English. They were adamant about living in, you know, not like a Chinatown sort of area. They were they wanted to assimilate and, um, you know, kind of like start this American life. So my sister and I, we even, we have American names. We don't have Asian names. Um, so Jackie is actually well, Jacqueline. Jacqueline is the name that's on my birth certificate. Um, my sister's name is Catherine. I always make fun of my mom because she just moved to America and she picked like the longest American <laughs> names <laughs> for us. So it was funny for me because it took me a while to learn how to spell my name too. There's like a Q in there. I don't know. Um, I never thought about that in the sense that when, when the parents, they come over here and they're not really from America originally and in a form of a form of assimilation would be that they would then name their kids um, traditional American names as opposed to names that if the kids had children had been born um, wherever they were originally from then they would have picked um, more traditional forms for that area that's sorry I'm, I'm like a traditional American over here this is like <laughs> totally I, and I'll, I'll put something out here um, because I'm always envious of people, um, individuals who have strong cultural ties to to a um, to a culture and to a um, to other um, specific race of people. Because I don't have that. I I I don't really have any like significant ethnic. 
I, I'm a mutt. I'm just, I'm just an American. And, and it's just, and, and to me, it's, I'm always envious of it because I think it's so cool to have those traditionals and to be, to, to have those traditions and to be able to say, this is my heritage. This is where I'm from. This is my family background. And, and you're able to trace it like that. And my, my family has never been that way. I just go around and I'm like, I'm a Belmont. That's about it. <laughs> no, we're not talking about the horse racers. No. So, so yeah, continue. <laughs> Different perspective, you know, like you, you say that you feel that way, but it's almost one of those grass is greener things because when I was growing up, I, all I wanted was to be white, you know, all I wanted was to be Caucasian um, or any, any other minority where there was like other people like me, you know, I think that's one of the things that's kind of complicated about the Asian American experience. I mean, if you grew up in a in a diverse metropolitan city like you know San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York, then sure you're going to have a community of Asians surrounding you. But for me, where I grew up, you know, my black friends had black friends, my Hispanic friends had Hispanic friends. You know, um, I was the only one. So even though like talks of you know racism or discrimination would come up, I didn't really have anyone who could relate to me or that I could relate to and share that experience. And I feel like there's a lot of Asian Americans that do grow up in that sort of cultural isolation um, if they grow up in a small town. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this here, just thinking about this, here, talking about this conversation that uh, I've you know, been able to see some uh, you know, posting pictures on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as far as the filming of uh, your project and mm-hmm. see sort of some of the things that we're discussing here tonight shown in, in, in those still photos of, of, of mm-hmm. our experience and uh, yeah I'm really excited to, to, to see this project when it, when it's finished thank you uh, and hearing the more the context behind them it, 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 it sounds like a very deep deep felt so if anyone wants to see the photos that Will is talking about, um, we do have an Instagram account. It's under Proud Short Film. We also have a Twitter account, which is Proud Short Film, and a Facebook page. Um, but I think most of our information can actually be found at our Seed and Spark campaign, where we have a, a demo video, kind of a behind the scenes. We've got tons of photos as well as updates on the on the project as we go, um, and that is Seed edenspark.com slash fund slash proud short film. Um, we've been very, very fortunate with an outpouring of support from the community and from the Seed and Spark audience. We've actually hit our financial goal for this film, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but if anyone is interested, following along on our Seated Spark account would be really helpful too because they actually have a bunch of uh, filmmaker perks and incentives based on the popularity of the film. So if we hit like 250 followers, we get to unlock certain perks. If we hit 500 followers, that too. So if you are unable to, you know, to show any support financially, which is totally fine. We're all filmmakers. We're all broke. Um, just giving us a follow on that account is really helpful for us as well. And if anyone wants to see it, there is a, uh, a low perk which allows you to get a link to the film when it's completed. I think it's $10, which is not so bad. 
great, great. So what? A low perk? Oh, what's that? It's a little. It's like a low. It's like a not a lot of money perk. <laughs> what's a high perk? Um, it goes up to a thousand dollars if you want to be listed as an executive producer. Oh. And then we have various levels in between where you can get like a proud shirt, you can get like a proud necklace. Um, we have a couple of little cute custom stuff on there. You know, people can peruse through. So I yeah. had a nineties or not a nineties, early two thousands flashback. Um, <laughs> at a Disney Channel and the Proud Family. <laughs> so you're like, you can get a proud shirt and I'm like the proud family. So where so I know you can get the link uh, if you're a certain level contributor, but uh, as far as your distribution plan for the film, where where do you where do you hope to uh, to share it? So the main reason that I wanted to make this film right now is for the HBO Asian Pacific Visionaries competition. Um, it's this wonderful program that is uh, aiming to increase diversity of specifically Asian Pacific directors. Um, HBO has a number of these programs throughout the year for different uh, different groups. And this one happens to be the Asian Asian one. So I kind of jumped on the bandwagon for that. Um, the deadline for that is November 15th. So we just wrapped on our production this past Monday. Um, three very, very crazy days of filming. Now it's with our editor. And once we submit it to HBO, um, I think they're going to let us know in February what they decide to do with it, whether they decide to accept it or not. If they do decide to accept it, then that's awesome and you guys will be able to see it on HBO. If they don't decide to accept it, I'm going to start submitting it to all the film festivals I can possibly afford to submit to and hopefully get it out there so that as many people can see it as possible. Um, it's tricky with short films because it's hard to find like a, a massive distribution platform. It's not like a movie, like a feature-length movie where you can sell DVDs and take it to theaters. Um, short films tend to have a little bit more of a limited a limited release, but that's why I'm kind of hoping that everyone who wants to see it can, you know, sign up for the perk where they can get the link and see it that way. Um, or, or go to a film festival. <laughs> Hopefully we get accepted to them. Um, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm feeling really good about it. I'm super, super ecstatic. The shoot went really well. I have a fantastic team. Everyone, like, really put their heart and soul into it and I think we have something really amazing. Well, well crazier things have happened, like the Venom box office, so I'm sure that <laughs> it'll be a success because these days everybody will just just wants content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Did you hear about this, Jackie? No, no what happened? Uh, so, um, so Venom made $32.7 million in its first day and the projections are for it to be the biggest October box opening of all time if it um, goes to the full $80 million, which it's projected to be at. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. Oh. Yeah. Good for them. Well, you know, I guess everybody gets to have a collective middle finger to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of makes me happy. I'm, I'm kind of happy that this movie is doing well. I kind of 
for anything in the Marvel universe now. So yeah, I I heard I heard something about Michelle Williams' character, and I love Michelle Williams. And yeah, and um and something that alludes to a sequel and her being very critical to that sequel. So whoever her character is, um, I, I if this does get a sequel, then I'm excited for her. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen it yet or no? Not, no, not yet. No, not yeah. yet. I plan on it though. Yeah, yeah. it's next on my list. Yeah, it's, it's on my list, and I know this weekend was like New York Comic Con too. So, I know you've been, uh, yeah, I know you've been on the Comic Con circuit. Tell us, tell us what that is like. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, as, as a as a as an artist, I mean, I, I've, I've been uh, there to, to a few as a fan, but uh, what's yeah, like yeah. the the, the bill your side of the table? Um, it's really awesome and really weird. <laughs> I. I'm, I go to I get invited to go to Comic Cons um, pretty much only because of my parents and Stranger Things, which became a cult phenomenon a few years back. But it's so like, like I don't know. My day to day is so boring and so like normal, and all of a sudden I like sit behind this table with this big poster with my face on it, and people ask to come up and like take photos. And I don't know. It's just I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really, really cool because you get to meet so many different people who are affected by a project that you were a part of. And, you know, they, they it's just kind of really cool seeing it from that perspective, you know, to be to know that you're a part of something that's really, really great. Um, I think that's something that all actors, all performers, maybe all people in general, like we all kind of aspire and dream to be a part of something big. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of neat just having been a part of that ride so and it also kind of gives me a platform to meet people meet fans meet people who um, I could potentially tell about my other projects coming up you know um, and then it gives me a good platform for that which I really appreciate because I know I've been really really lucky and fortunate and blessed in that um, I know a lot of actors who have been at this a lot longer than me and you know I think a lot of them are talented and <laughs> it's just a lot of it comes down to luck you know, it really does. A lot, a lot of it really comes down to being at the right place at the right time and just getting that one opportunity that you don't even know is going to be a big opportunity until it is. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of projects, didn't you just uh, have a feature film to drop? I, I did, yeah. So there's a horror film called The Training that just, we, we just had the premiere this past Sunday. Um, it, it's a horror film. It's a kind of a supernatural cop thriller. Um, Tom Sizemore is in it. Miguel Nunez Jr. is in it. I'm in it. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a supernatural horror. Say. You sound like you're being modest. You did. Did you have a pretty substantial role, or? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I played Detective Harris. Um, she is the lead of the case, and she's trying to figure everything out. So I, yeah, I had a, I had a lead role in this, which I, I was really nervous about, guys. Um, because this is my first lead role in a feature film, so it's the first time I'm, I'm having to carry something. And I hadn't seen the film before the screen, so I saw it at the same time as everyone else. And I love the production company and the director, Eduardo Castillo. I've worked with him before numerous times. 
I have the, the utmost faith and, and trust in him and his crew. But at the same time, I was just so nervous. <laughs> but we, we had a full house and we got great reviews afterwards and people seemed to genuinely like it. It was a little funnier than I expected. Before, I was like, wow, they had, they had a really good, uh, really good timing, comedic timing. So added a little bit of lightheartedness amidst the suspense and scariness. <laughs> so it was a really cool experience. All right. Um, well, Jackie, now that we know where to see you in the near, near future, um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Sure. So I am on Instagram and on Twitter at, at Jack Salas, J-A-X-D-A-L-L-A-S. I'm on Facebook, Jackie Dallas. Um, I am to be. Everything's Jackie Dallas. There's only one of me. I like IMDb. Should have like a jingle after it. IMDb. Um, Will, where can people send you hate mail? You can you can send me all your hate mail at Will M Polk W I L L M P O L. You can find me at S J Belmont S J B E L M O N T. Please follow our crew at Scene and Nerd. Friend us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. But most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes. Sound button. Spotify. Good night, geek out. You're welcome.